We are thankful to God for His amazing gift of love, for His kindness and compassion. And here we are, another day with an opportunity to serve Him, to praise His name, to, uh, to lift Him up, and to, for this moment, to let everything be all about Him. All right, thank God for that. It's great to see you here, both members and visitors alike. Let's uh, please go to God in a word of prayer. O merciful, masterful, King everlasting, Heavenly Father, we lift up your name. Hallowed be your holy and divine name. Thank you for your great Son who came to this earth and lived so perfectly, who blessed us in every way, who has kept us. And by the word of, of the power of the Godhead, all things hold together. We have been saved by your grace. We ask, Lord God, that you'll bless us as we worship you, praying that our minds will be fixated on your word, on you and the heavenlies of your word and your will and your way, that we might, Lord God, remove our minds from worldly thought. We might just focus, just meditate, and just be one with you at this hour. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray and thank thee, if it be thy will. Amen. Matthew chapter 23 this morning. We ended with the question last week, do you have mercy in your heart regarding others? And that was a a struggle for the scribes and the Pharisees. And I, I want to look at them because I want us to think for a moment about how clean our personal houses are, right? It's easy to look at everybody else's house. But when I look inside the window of my house, my mind, my, I think about my life, my past. And what, and here I am today. You see me today. You see me in a suit and you see me, you see me. But did you see me? And the answer is no. You, you, just like I have not seen you. But you have seen you, right? And you know who you are. And you know where you've been. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. For just a moment, just think about how clean we are this morning. But I wonder if the external cleanliness matches the internal. Am I clean on the inside? Have I made those things that are wrong in the eyes of God right? Have I 
repented of my past sins? Have I confessed to my Lord of the errors of my way? Have I, have I wrestled with my own struggles of pride and arrogance? Have I turned my life around to God on the inside? All the outside looks wonderful. But what about the inside? So he says, these folks were, were swallowing a camel. <laughs> I mean, that, what? In other words, their inside was so impure. And no one likes for someone to point out the, the wrong or the error in their lives, right? We don't, we don't like that. But that's where humility comes. We have to be willing to accept that, you know, I don't have it all together. I can accept that. I'm working on me. And you have to work on you. Look at verse 26. You blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside may become clean also. I've been a firm believer growing in the faith that if you clean up the inside, the outside will take care of itself. Right? That's what God wants us to do. That's where God wants His people to be. Because hypocrisy is a terrible thing when it comes to judging other people. When it comes to judgment in general, hypocrisy is a terrible, terrible thing. I want you to look at Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, uh, the, the, the writer of the, of the book, by way of inspiration, the Holy Spirit is revealing to, the, to the, the Jews and the Romans, the Gentiles, saying, you Gentiles, you got some things you got to work on. You have some things that you have to change. And the Jews were eating it up. They were like, yeah, that's right, Holy Spirit. That's right, Paul. You, you get them. You, you tell them how wicked they are. In fact, look at Romans 1 and verse 28. He, he says, uh, and, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. And he just keeps going. And the Jews are like, you tell them, Paul. You tell them. Right? And he just kept going in verse uh, uh, verse 31. Uh, without understanding, uh, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Tell them, Paul. And then Paul says, but you have to stay around for a little bit longer to listen to the rest of the story. Because the rest of the story continues in chapter 2, in verse 1. Therefore you who are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. Oh, Wait a minute, Paul. <laughs> we were talking about the Gentiles. Now, you, why are you turning around on us? Because all of us have if issues, right? So he goes on in verse 2 to say, and, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. 
And, and do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? See, the Jews thought forever, you know, we're God's special people, so therefore we're excused. No, you're not excused. And that, that's why the northern kingdom went into Assyrian captivity and, and the southern kingdom went off into Babylonian captivity because God is fair and not partial because of the sins and the wickedness that was found in them. And so don't think that when we sit back and judge everybody else that we're going to escape the judgment of God ourselves. It is very critical and important that we work on the inside of ourselves. I'm telling you, brethren, when you work on self, there's not a lot of room to work on everybody else. Maybe you might say, well, not me. Okay. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. You, therefore, talking to the Jews, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who practice that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do do you dishonor God, Jews? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. What? Wait a minute. You can't blame us. Yeah, you guys are horrible examples of what it means to follow God. Church, let that never be said of us. Never let it be said that we go out to evangelize in the community and people look at us and go, oh, wait a minute, you're going to tell me about Jesus? Never let that be said about us. That, that the world is, is worse off because of us. You know what's sad, church, is I think that might be part of the case. I think that the world of Christendom has struggled with hypocrisy for so long that the world struggles themselves. Because for some strange reason, we like to hold on to the world and not let it go. And hold on to Jesus and not let him go. Though Jesus says you can't have both. Right. And I'm sad to say that sometimes the church fails in showing Jesus to a lost and dying world. We preach it in here. But what do we do out there? You ever read about the young boy who went to college and he asked his father for enough money to, to, to do a few things and his, his father said, oh, well, son, I, I'll talk to you later about that. And the father never, never talked to the son again about this subject. The son asked over and over again. The father just said, I'll talk to you later about that. And then the boy went four years through college and the father never addressed, never addressed the issue. He just kept saying, I'll talk to you later about that. And it wasn't until way later in his life that he learned that his father had already taken care of all that for him. But he never knew it. His father put the money that he requested inside of the box and the Bible that he gave him before he went to college. 
but he never opened it up. See, he was so much like the world. He got, he was drawn in. Now look, this is what happens. We're human. And we, we get, we get drawn in sometimes to the world. And, and we need sometimes somebody to say, hey brother, you know I love you, sister. I, I think you're getting caught up too much in the world. And here, here's what, here's, here are the reasons. But make sure you got yourself right first, right? Look, let's go back to First Kings. First Kings. The Jews were passing judgment. We're going to chapter 15. The Jews were passing judgment on, on the Gentiles and, and the Gentiles vice versa on, on the Jews. And, and I'll tell you what happens. What happens is uh, God does, is not the one that's focused on, right? Instead, the focus is on who's righteous and who's not. I want to start with, with this gentleman here. Not a bad guy. Not, not a bad guy at all. We, in the, in the world sense of thinking of goodness and wasn't a bad guy. Here's a guy who was caught up. And when you think about everything else about his life, you realize he's a pretty good guy. Matter of fact, you'd say, we'd say, he's a very godly man. But even godly people get caught up. We can admit that, can't we, brethren? We, we all get caught up. None of us are perfect, right? We get caught up sometimes. We get caught up in, maybe, yeah, sometimes in self, other times in situations of life. We get, we get caught up and we get, sometimes we're drawn away, right? James tells us that. We're enticed by our own desires. First Kings chapter 15, verse 4. But for David's sake, the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Now when you read that verse, we don't even have to read the last section to know that probably most of us in here would say, oh yeah, but what about Bathsheba? <laughs> right? We don't, we don't even have to read the last portion of that verse we, we know that verse is there because that's always the go-to, except in the case when he, with Uriah the Hittite, except when David had his low point in life, except when David got caught up in sin. And yet, you read the Psalms, and what's the one unique thing about David when you read all the Psalms? You'll find David in his progression of, Oh God, here's my situation. Dear God, you are great and you are wonderful. Dear God, I, I really messed up. Dear God, please forgive me. Dear God, you are wonderful. He repents continuously over and over and over again. And what we're getting to see in this verse alone is that God is forgiving. God is merciful. And God doesn't look to all of the other faults of David, but he brings out the one that he knows that all of us are going to run to every chance we get. Oh, you think I'm bad? What about David? But I, I want to look at this just for a moment about being caught up. Second Samuel chapter, chapter 11. Getting caught up in sin. And then the Bible makes it clear that, that, that oftentimes we, we get caught up in 
sin. We, we struggle in, in this life and we struggle in, in striving to do the will of God. But sometimes we, we just, we get caught up. And when we get caught up, brethren, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a struggle for us, isn't it? It's a struggle. So what are you going to do about your life when you're caught up in sin? So God tells us what we're going to do. He gives us an example of what we, what we should do. David, you know the account. He goes to the top of the roof and he looks over and he sees a beautiful woman. And, and that's the beginning of this trouble. I want to jump all the way down to verse 6. Then David said to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. Now, I want to tell you something about Uriah for just a moment. That you, I know you know this, but I, I want to remind you. Uriah is one of the most loyal, committed men in war that you'll ever meet in the Bible. He's one of David's mighty men. You go back and study David's mighty men. Those were the most committed warriors in the whole Bible. Those men were amazing. They're mentioned by God by name of, of being so amazing as David's, David's army. They were conquerors of the, of the world in that day and that time as God worked through each and every one of them. And they did amazing things. Uriah is the husband of that woman that David was looking over the rooftop. You would think that David would have some loyalty in his heart. Well, he does. He's a very loyal man. But he messed up. He got caught up. And, and so the Bible says it's Uriah, uh, uh, the Hittite here in, in verse 6. And then verse 7, when Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people uh, and the state of the war. Look at this small talk. He's trying to set Uriah up. Hey, how you doing? How are you? Here, have a... And then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and, and wash your feet. Uh, and Uriah went out of the king's house and the presence, from the, uh, the presence of the king was sent out to him. So, so, so David gives him some, some gifts. <laughs> Go home. But that dedicated, committed man would not go home to his wife. And he, and he gives the answer why. He tells us the answer. In verse 9, the Bible says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you come, not come from a, a journey? Why do you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark of and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters in my lord Joab. And the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this Thing. David's in a pickle. <laughs> I picked the wrong, the wrong man. This man is committed. This man is loyal. This man is honest. He holds fast his integrity and he won't go home. I need him to go home. 
so that when he comes back from the war and his wife is pregnant, she can say, the baby's yours. But, that, but he won't go home. You see, he won't remove David's sin. But church, going home would not have removed David's sin. Going home, church, will not remove our sins. Repentance and confession removes our sin. Going to church, as we say it, coming to worship will not remove your sin. Repentance and confession removes our sin. David was so far from God, he wasn't even thinking right. And in verse 13, he had a plan. The Bible says, Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Drinking won't remove your sins. Getting drunk won't remove your sin. See, sometimes we've been guilty of finding every other thing to remove our sins, but God, Only God can remove your sins. The elders can't remove your sin. The preacher can't remove your sin. The deacons cannot remove your sin. No one can remove your sins. But you and God, you have to, I have to, we have to go to God and ask Him for His forgiveness, repentance, and confession. And yet, I wonder, church, how much... Confession and how much repentance is in our lives. Nothing's working. So here comes the part of the account that you know about that's so ruthless and so treacherous. He's too loyal. He's too good of a man. He's too committed. He's too honorable. So you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to kill him. Think about that. David did everything right. Except with Uriah the Hittite. A murderer. A, A man full of treachery. Verse 14 And he was so cold and so calculated. Now it came about in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of the husband of the woman that he just impregnated, Uriah. And he had written it in the letter saying, Peace, excuse me, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle And we're soldiers. A lot of us are soldiers in here. What a command. Never leave your brother behind, right? No, 
David said, put him in the fiercest battle on the front line and then withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. And then David goes home and goes to bed like nothing happened. So what are we, what are we witnessing and realizing in David's life right now? He is so far from God, he doesn't even see his own sin. Have you ever been? Have you ever walked away from God? And, and now when you look back, you realize how bad your life really was. How could I have thought the way I thought? How could I have done the things that I... And so God sends a prophet. And you know the account of Nathan, right? Nathan the prophet comes along, tells him a story. And it begins in chapter 12 and verse 1. And then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. And it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David the hypocrite the man of treachery, the man of sin, the murderer, had something to say? Wait, David, you're going to judge, you, you've got the audacity to judge him after what you've done? See, God's looking into your hearts, my heart, right? Nobody else knows what's going on right now, but David, Bathsheba, and God. Joab knows the order that came his way. David has now an opinion about what everybody else is doing and has still not looked into his own heart. He still has not looked at himself. Church, that's what judging is about when it's done improperly. We don't look into the mirror of self. We look at everybody else. But if you clean up your house and I clean up my house, then we'll see the peace of God, won't we? David was furious. Verse 5. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion 
You're right. Yeah, you're right. Remember last week, Judah, she needs to be burned because of her actions. But for some reason, there was no burning necessary when he was caught, right? And all of a sudden, it was like, no, no, everything's fine. We'll be, we'll be good. We'll just move on. No, brother, that's not how this works. Verse 7, Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have, would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. And you have the audacity to judge somebody else? Turn to Matthew chapter 7, please. I think we, we, we get that. We're clear. Preacher, I understand that. Am I guilty of criticizing others out of, out of jealousy, maybe? Maybe it comes out of bitterness, right? Maybe it's, I'm jealous and I'm bitter. I'm selfish. I have selfish ambitions. And am I guilty of, of some other sin that I, I just, you know, I don't want you to know about my stuff, but I'll sure bring out your stuff. <laughs> As if that makes me better. Verse 1, do not judge, lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your sins, or your standard, right? I said sins, because when you got, when your stuff, that's where your judgment comes. My judgment comes from my sins, my stuff, my standards, my pain in my life. Well, you know, so and so, I remember when I was growing up, this happened to me. I said to myself, I'm never going to let this happen to me ever again. And blah, blah, blah. And then my brother does something similar. Don't do that to me. I've got a judgment for him because of, because of, by your standard in which you standard, if you will, standardize to other people, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the spec? Someone says, I don't, when, when I asked the preacher to preach on this a little further, I didn't mean all this. But this is what it's all about. He says, and why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. David, Judah, Pharisees, scribes, church. And he says, this is what I'm doing. If this is what you're guilty of, preacher. He says, you're a hypocrite. It says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Uh, 
Am I guilty of assuming that that I know all of the pertinent facts and, and situations and circumstances in this person's life to give me then the right to stand up and, and establish a standard and a rule that now says, this is the rule you have to follow because I say so. As if I'm someone special. Have you ever walked a mile or even ten feet or even a foot in that other person's shoes? Oh, it's amazing sometimes when you look back at people's lives and you think about their situations and circumstances. And if you're honest, you might find that if I'd been, been in that same position, in that same predicament, with those same upbringings and the same morals and the same this and the same that I probably would have done the exact same thing. I, I hope I wouldn't. But I'm not a superhero. So I just have to be honest. Humility. Humility is the key. Am I guilty of, of setting up human standards rather than holding to what God's law is? And then you know what we love to do too? We take God's law and then, and then stick in there our own human standards. You can't do that. You cannot do that. We cannot do that. It's what thus saith the Lord alone, not my self-righteous ideas, added to God's laws. That's what the Pharisees did. Pharisees did that. And they were pros at it. They did it over and over and over again. I have to learn. Luke chapter 6, please. I have to learn to look to self over and over again. I would like to explain something to you just to think about. I know you know this, but you know when the preacher prepares his sermon, he likes to fill his bucket up and then it overflows. And then he says, well, Lord, I, I don't have enough time to, so I have to, you got to take some of those scriptures out. And you keep removing scriptures and then when and it's all said and done, you have this, this sermon that you're ready to present to the congregation. You don't get those scriptures. <laughs> those have been removed. But I have. Thank you, God, for the rest of the scriptures to help me. Right? To help me. Because I need God's help. How about you? Verse 39 of Luke says, He also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into the pit? And when we're talking about this, this partial judgment, right? Personal judgment, the personal judgment of others. Are we not like blind people trying to guide people, blind people to, to Christ? I'm not going to give folks to Christ through my own blindness or my own personal judgment. People come to Christ because of God. Verse 40 says, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eyes. So look, watch this. Personal judgment. So, oh, this is what my teacher said. My teacher said, 
And so now I'm the new teacher, and I teach a new convert what my teacher said, but I teach it as if I'm saying it from me, because now I've added to what my teacher said, and none of it's in the Bible. That's not how we do this. Verse 42 says, Well, how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. What is God asking of us? He's saying, I just need you, church, to work on you. You just work on you. Work on your issues. Work on your struggles. Work on your problems. I'll work on my issues and and my struggles and my problems. And we'll come together in humility. And then we can help each other out. But if I'm not going to look at self. I'm probably not going to be a very good judge. Not based on God's law. Galatians chapter 6. I'm rounding the corner to let you go here in just a moment. Sometimes my, my glasses are, in fact, I don't have my glasses on this morning because as I was sitting over there trying to get my mask off and put my microphone together and everything, they broke. <laughs> Maybe I needed to see clearly this morning. I have to learn and remember to clean out my own closet, Right? And what I mean by that is it's not, you know, companies coming over so you throw things from one closet to the next one. Right? That's still, no, like literally clean it up. Right? This morning, I, I don't know if you have struggles in, in your heart, things that you have dismissed. You know, the bad thing about sin is if you, don't, if you don't get it right, immediately you forget. And if you forget and you haven't gotten it right, maybe that's not a good situation to be in. Got to stay continually in repentance and asking God for forgiveness. Just have to continually clean up self. To cast out my own my own log, right? I've got to keep working on that. Continue to work on the log that's in my eye that brings me to the self-righteous state of mind. And, and not, not worry about everybody else. To learn to continually adjust because where, where I'm strong in one area, I'm weak in another. So I have to keep adjusting, right? You just, you keep, you continue to adjust in your spirituality, in your spiritual life. And then comes that time when, when you're going to confront, uh, or be confronted by other brethren. And so you, you learn to accept constructive criticism and you, you, you step back for a moment and you, and you think about it, right? You got to at least think about it and say, God, is, does this have any validity in my life? And if it doesn't, you learn to dismiss it and move on. If it does, you change. But you always have to look to yourself. Galatians 6 gives us that warning. In verse 1, it says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, even if, we know he's going to be caught, right? Okay, he's caught in a trespass. All right, God, I'm ready to go get him. And God says, whoa, Hold on. Put the brakes on for a moment. Even if a man is caught 
in any trespass. You who are spiritual. Oh, can't continue. Not yet. Now I have to do a self-evaluation, don't I? You who are spiritual. Now look, not in, the, not in my own eyes, right? I got this law in God's eyes. Have I made everything right, Lord, first? It's like the high priest who goes in once a year. He's got to get his own sins right first before he can offer a sacrifice for the sins of others. So you got to take his self-inventory and say, okay, God, I need to think about this for a moment. I'm going to this individual to discuss with them, you know, blue chairs or whatever it might be. And I, I need to look, take a self-inventory of myself. How spiritual am I, Lord God? Am I the man? Am I the one that should go to this individual? Because see, there's a heavy price that I could pay if I'm not taking a self-inventory. Listen to the rest of the account. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one of you looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. I might not be the man. Because I might fall away from the very thing I'm judging him about or her about. So i got to look into myself and say, hey, okay, Lord, am I spiritual enough to go to this brother or sister in a spirit of gentleness and love, right, and compassion to help them? Not to be critical of them and to judge them, but to help them. Like, like Nathan helped David to open his eyes up to see. Or am I going to go there and be tempted and say, well, where'd you, where'd you get all that money from? How can I do that? Am I going to be tempted? Am I, maybe I'm not the one. So we close in James chapter 4. God wants me to always take a self-inventory. To always think about, to think about Him. To think about God first. Am I right with God? It's always going to come back to that. Am I right? With God. And though I see my brother over there caught in a trespass, am I right with God? When Jesus in John 8, the woman was brought to him, caught in the very act of adultery. And yet she wasn't condemned by God. She was sorry for what she had done. And what did Jesus do? Self-inventory. Where's the man? Where's the man? Y'all aren't even being fair about this. Where's the man? James says, chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Someone said, but preacher, we, we wanted you to talk about righteous judgment. I know. But when you take a self-inventory, I come back and ask, are you the righteous one? We'll get to that. We'll get to that one. But let's understand self first. Right? Because we can't help other people if we, if we don't fix self. And, and that's why it's good for preachers when they, when they preach to go up and tell you 
you know I struggle with this tell you about me because there's no, no reason for me to tell you about you if I don't first tell me about me and I don't mind in my sermons to tell you about me because I'm no superman I'm just a human I'm just a preacher trying to handle the right the word of God he says don't, be a, don't become the judge be the follower verse 12 says There's only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you who judges your neighbor? Maybe there's someone this morning who is struggling in their faith. And they like prayers made in their behalf. Love to do that. Love to have that opportunity. Perhaps you're not a child of God. Surrender to God. Because he's the judge. And you like I, like we will stand before him one day. You don't want those sins out in front of you. You want Jesus to be your spokesman. But you can't have that without Jesus. If you'll surrender today in the waters of baptism, having heard his word and believed, having uh, have found repentance in your heart, godly sorrow, making a confession that you believe Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God, being baptized, immersed in water, for the remission of your sins, and then just staying true to God and fighting the good fight of faith. And then coming to worship and, and watching these honorable people who thank you this morning for allowing me to maybe preach a little bit longer just to get this point across. The lesson is yours. God bless each and every one of you. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.